0: you always get this moment during a consultation where the owner will say you know they'll get the aha moment it's like oh my god you know that's why I'm here and so on and 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 it's quite extraordinary and when somebody gets that realization that is the first moment which then gives them the choice as to their next step
1: Hello and welcome to Adventures in Dowsing, podcast number 32 from the British Society of Dowsers. I'm Graham Gardner. Now, this episode features an interview with Christian Kiriakou, who was one of the speakers at our 2011 conference. It's always a hectic time at conference trying to attend as many talks and workshops as possible so it's increasingly difficult to find time to actually sit down and talk to the speakers. But I managed to grab Christian on the Friday afternoon and spirited him off to the garden for a chat before the conference proper had started. So that's coming up in a bit, but first there are a couple of news items. And in the news, our 2012 courses and events are now listed on the main website at britishdowsers.org. Uh, There's nothing much happening before next February, of course, but now is the time to put the dates in your diary and decide what training and what events you would like to attend next year. And uh, with Christmas fast approaching, it's not too late to purchase one of our special dowsing kits. Each one comes with a BSD jute bag and a BSD trolley token key fob, always handy at the supermarket. These kits are an ideal way to introduce someone you know to the world of dowsing. And the big news this month, the BSD is now on YouTube. Uh, This is still at what you might call the experimental stage, but we have a few short videos from conference uploaded there, and we hope to be adding more stuff in conjunction with the Still Under Construction new website in the new year. So you can find that at youtube.com forward slash British Dowsers. Hi
0: everyone, I'm Sue Turnbull. I'm new to dowsing and I'm a new member and it's great to be here at the conference. You were listening to Adventures in Dowsing from the British Society of Dowsers.
1: And now here's my interview with Christian Kiriakou. It's always hard to describe exactly what Christian does, as his list of job titles is embarrassingly long. Uh, but perhaps his best-known appellation is The House Whisperer. So I asked him to begin by telling us exactly what that involves.
0: Essentially, my work is with people and where they live. It's the connection that we have with the soul of our homes. And for a lot of people, I will often ask them, do you feel at home where you live? And half the people in an audience, for example, in a workshop, will put their hand up and uh, say they don't feel at home. And so we go then into the exploration of what is home. And why do we not feel at home where we live? So um, I look at finding the actual original soul of the building and seeing why a particular person has chosen that house uh, in which to live. And there is always a matching story. There is always a resonance. And we're back to vibration and harmonics. And so there's something in people's lives, in their past, in their childhood, their belief system, that will attract them uh, to a certain house. A lot of people will say, um, when you ask them why that house, well, it felt good, it felt comfortable. Um, But that to me doesn't necessarily mean it's the right house for you, or it's good for you. Because, as you know, um, people who have cancer, for example, will be attracted to a house that has geopathic stress. And so what is happening is there is a familiarity of the energy, the resonance of that house, of that land, that the person can resonate with and feel comfortable with, and therefore it feels like home
1: whether it's a healthy resonance for them or not.
0: Absolutely. Um, But looking at it in a bigger picture, uh, whatever we're attracted to, the home is our greatest teacher because it's uh, an out-picturing of our inner belief system, our inner journey. And so we externalise it in our home. So it's like another relationship. You're looking at a house, you're choosing it, it's feeling comfortable, and you're going on the next part of your journey. With that house which is purely a reflection of you your inner self mm. um, and so working with people to explore that and actually really understand um, what is the story what is the message of the house you've chosen and getting people to recognize what their next step is what what is it in them, in the house that needs resolution Um, you know, depending of course what the issues are but I always find a matching story Uh, and so the process of working with someone in the house is initially to um, I don't believe in the word space clearing because to go in and to do the various methods of space clearing you've actually just wiped away a whole opportunity a whole story But is that person's purpose for being there? Sure. So, And it's like the whole thing of ghost-busting, which is really such the wrong word. You know, that kind of hurts your stomach when you say it. Mine, anyway. Um, It's about, you know, what are those energies there for? What are those spirits that may be stuck in a house? What's their story? And I will always find a matching story to the person living there. Uh, And so it's about... Uh, Going through that process of the strands of connecting into the soul of the house and all the stories that are running, connecting with anybody who is stuck in spirit and so on, Um, and helping the, the person in real life to actually see that and feel it. And you always get this moment during a consultation where the owner will say but you know they'll get the aha moment it's like oh my god you know that's why i'm here and so on and, and and it's quite extraordinary and when somebody gets that realization that is the first moment which then gives them the choice as to their next step until they've seen what the issue is what the story is that we can do nothing about it it has to be brought up from the subconscious to the conscious world and then we can choose to act on it or not, and of course, we always have free will, um, but I find with most people I work with um, that you know once they see that it 's so in their face you know, it 's hard to ignore, uh, and they take that next step, and some extraordinary things do happen in, in changing people 's lives
1: so this all sounds as, uh, as much related to uh, the place memory of the building as opposed to any sort of um, geopathic stress that 's going on.
0: Well, they are are all connected, of course, because uh, memory, uh, spirit energy can travel along geopathic lines and energy lines. Um, And so there are various levels of um, what is going on, uh, sure, from the earth and the geopathic, etc. What's gone on on the land. And there are stories of where there have been battles and massacres. And people are attracted there and the, the story I tell around this one is a consultation in New Jersey where the the two sisters in this family of four uh, mother father and the two sisters were always fighting at loggerheads with each other and it became very clear going to the house that half the family, one of the sisters was uh, American white and the other one was Native American Indian energy. And they were in battle. Mm. And it became so clear what was happening. And they said, ah, this big ah moment, this house was built on the massacre of a Lenape Indian village. Mm-hmm. And you could still see the the deer trail and the deer still there. And so this family were playing out the battle that happened on that land. Yeah, It's quite extraordinary um, how, how that affects it. So that's in the memory of the land. Uh, then, of course, you've got the building itself and everybody who's lived there. And it's like a software program in a computer. Everything that goes on is recorded in the etheric matrix of the building as well as the uh, energetic and physical molecular structure of the materials it's built in, you know, the bricks and mortar. Sure. And so going into a house, uh, I would just tune into that etheric uh, grid. And for me, I just read it like a book and feel it and can see and know the stories. And then I start to relate them to the people living there and it's just extraordinary stuff that happens uh, yeah, in houses, how they hold memory.
1: Mm. So how do you want to bring about a resolution? Well,
0: as I say, first of all it's establishing what is the story that's running, uh, what is it that's been left behind is it spirit that is stuck is it just purely memory in the video replay matrix of the house or the land uh, and so on or is it Uh, the darker entity kind of energy that could be hanging around or thought forms projected either uh, deliberately or subconsciously by people who might just think badly of somebody either way these energies are powerful and so it's, it's about establishing what kind of energy what kind of program is running and dealing with it in different ways and there are different solutions for different things if, if it's psychic attack which uh, you do get some clients complaining that they feel they're being attacked all the time there are various ways of uh, finding out where that attack is coming from and I take the client through a visualisation process and through that we can identify who it is and I can usually see where it's coming from or feel the person that is sending it and again there are various ways of dealing with that um whether it's neutralizing that energy shielding it deflecting it back i work with uh, energy matrix codes which i'll be speaking about over the weekend um which is like a a protective psychic shield but i don't necessarily uh, say to people you've got to protect yourself because once we start talking about protection you're talking about duality and you're coming away from unity and oneness of of absolute self and consciousness and so to me it's about if we can stay in our unity consciousness there is no duality there is nothing else to protect from so that's where i'd like to start from working with people once we uh, drop into duality then there is a level of protection uh, that is needed and so creating psychic shields and programming them uh, for that protection and whether it's to send energy back uh, or to deflect back to the original sender um, one's got to gauge in the moment what, what is the most appropriate action uh, and it's not about um, fighting back it's not about warfare, it's about diffusing the energy, um, although I have to say sometimes when it's been very violent uh, attack, I, I've had to take some pretty drastic measures to to protect the client, because nobody yeah, has the right to, to attack any, anybody else in that way, so...
1: Yeah. Do you often find that uh, there is one person in the building who is particularly suffering and the rest are totally ignorant of it? Uh, absolutely.
0: It's, and, and this is when you work with a family, for example, or a couple, there will be one person who it is about their story and the partner, the husband or wife, uh, they're just kind of along for the ride, so yeah. to speak. Um, yeah, for sure. When, when, people, when you ask people, well, who chose this house? And you know uh, well it 's my wife that chose it i didn 't want it and and there you s- you start getting issues already, yeah, but you do find that the person who chose it has the matching story so for example when when you have um, uh, with relationships i 've been to many houses where the woman is on her own, and part of the consultation is, "I want a relationship now." and you find out that she's um, living in a house with the spirit of a single old lady. And so it's like, well, okay, you've got, you're living in that energy, and so you are projecting out to the world that single-person energy. Yeah. Now, that was... If, she went, if she'd moved there ten years ago... She's drawn to that single energy because that's where she might have been in her life at that point. Maybe she came out of a relationship, wanted to be on her own. Therefore, she found a matching pattern. Perfect. But then a few years down the line, you say, right, I've done all that. I've resolved the past issues. I now want to be in a relationship. Ah, but you are still in the energy matrix with uh, a ghost spirit of a single lady. That's not going to move just because you say... I know I want a relationship so you have to change the program i.e. release the person in spirit or whatever um, other program is running in the bricks and mortar or the land as we've said and once that is released um, it's extraordinary how quickly people then do find another relationship or another job uh, or money starts to flow in and and so on depending what the issue is but there is always that something that you may have chosen it when you first moved there, but you now want something different, but you're stuck with it.
1: It's like that critical moment in psychology, isn't it? when you realise you know, the childhood incident that's been affecting you your whole life, <laughs> releasing the blockages. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and it is about regressing. Um, I call it regressing uh, a building, and actually taking the soul of the building back through all the years and all the layers, back to its original conception. And with buildings particularly, you have um w- w- when a building is designed in the designer or the architect's mind, they will put their blueprint on the design of the building. And we've heard phrases like uh, a mad architect will create madness in the people who live in his buildings or her buildings. And so that is embedded into the nature, into the soul of the building when it's conceived, and so that house will have a certain uh, energy signature. I call it a key signature, KI. You know, uh, mm. Obviously, the energy word for energy in Japanese, the key signature of buildings. Uh, but it is also a musical key. It is a harmonic code, mm. and so this code is uh, embedded into the building. And the function of that building, whether it's a house or a shop and so on, will be coded with that original design template. So when we say we want to change of use of a building, we go to planning and do all that stuff. And sometimes we have problems in getting planning. And I, I feel that it's because nobody's asking the soul of the building, hey, do you want to change from this to that? we overlay all this, we have our desires, we renovate buildings, we cut buildings up into lots of flats, you know, without asking the original soul of the building. Of course, it's going to create fragmentation Mm. of that original soul and and the problems that arise from that. So by taking the building back, regressing it back to its original blueprint, its original soul, uh, you can then communicate with it and... Uh, in the process do the space clearing stroke alignment but once you get to that original soul you can actually reprogram it and ask it you know um, you're now 150 years out of date for what you were originally designed for uh, and we need current use to be this can we work with that and so on and so you know the soul will very rarely say no because it needs to be brought up to date but when a building is locked into trauma often with building works, scaffolding, confusion of what it's there for, all that affects the people living there.
1: Mm, sure.
0: and, and And the fragmentation of it. And, and it just messes people up big time.
1: Yeah. You actually work on new builds as well, don't you? Design mm. from scratch. Yeah,
0: yeah. As, as an architect, yeah. uh, most of my work now um, in either advising uh, other professionals, other architects or other, you know, uh, clients um, in in the use of... Actually, the bigger picture, and it's one of the books I'm, I'm writing at the moment, it's kind of a manual of what is it we have to be aware of before the architect even starts. Um, and, it's, of course, it's the, you know, understanding the energy of the land, the soul of the land, the the earth elementals, Uh, you know dousing at all its different levels physical psychic and so on and which way the site is facing and you know your basic feng shui uh, form school and you know the indian vusta system of feng shui and so on Uh, and getting all these parameters in place before the building even starts and what you find by doing that is that the land actually begins to shape what the potential of a building could be. Yeah. The complete opposite to that is an architect coming along and saying, right, I am going to build this because that's my... that's what I believe and that's my ego and so on. And you end up with something that has nothing to do with the resonance or sensitivity of the land it's being built on. And, of course, we're back to the problems that I spend most of my days fixing. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, so I'm I'm very keen on training um, architects uh, in this, and I have actually started um, a setup called the Architects Academy specifically to try and uh, impart this information to the professionals, which are not the easiest bunch to. Uh, no. Um, uh, particularly when they spent you know seven or eight years training and. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, i trying to tell them that there is actually another a level of working which um, completely, you know, can challenge. But it's a fascinating way of working. And then if I get the opportunity to either convert or work on a new building, it will be with everything I've just said. But then you're into the sacred geometry, which in essence is about reflecting natural order, the natural order of the universe Uh, the harmonics, uh, the golden mean vibration, the golden mean harmonic, uh, and so on. Uh, And then you've created a building that will attract energy, attract charge, which will be healthy for people living in it. Uh, And it will actually charge their energy up for whatever it is they want to do. So you've got a foundation of really good land, the building positioned on the land, in a good location on the land, a good orientation to the sun and so on, and the magnetic poles and all that. And then the sacred geometry to get the numbers, the coding right, uh, and you do the right ceremonies, you, you plant in the building, you know, the psychic codings in the foundations and so on and so on, which all our ancients used. And once you do that, you've actually got a building that's actually alive and conscious... And it's connected yeah. to, to
1: universal source. Yeah. And that's really the starting point. It's connected uh, in the landscape. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it's so noticeable when you go into a different uh, a building that has that. Yeah. Uh, like the um, old cathedrals, the cathedrals mm. and stuff. It's just such an obvious difference when the building a- absolutely. is probably plugged
0: in. It, it, it's built on uh, good energy spots, you know, blind springs, hills, yeah. um, crossings of ley lines, of course, as we know. Yeah. But then from that is spun the geometries and, of course, the sacred weave of the masculine feminine, which um, every sacred building has uh, expressed in its uh, physical architectural form. Uh, Like, for example, at Salisbury Cathedral in the cloister, you've got uh, alternating um, open windows which are pentagram. Hexagram, pentagram, hexagram. And the pentagram is the feminine. It's, the, uh, it's a golden mean harmonic. It's the nourish, it's a nourishment of the universe. It's what plant life grows to. And the hexagram is the mineral world, the masculine. Um, and it's always about this weave of masculine, feminine, the yin and the yang. And in any sacred architecture, you'll find this interplay, this weave of the male-female... Mm. Uh, Because it's all about that balance. And once we can get balance in a building, it means we can get much closer to non-duality. Because even male-female, yin and yang, being balanced, it's still duality. And the idea is that once that spin of male-female, yin-yang duality is in its right balance, it's then easier to drop back to who we truly are, which is total unity, consciousness. And therefore, um, the closer we can get to that energy spin, um, energy spin and balance of yin-yang, the better chance we've got of really truly remembering who we are as, as conscious, fully conscious beings connected to the universe.
1: Mm. So do you get uh, called in to convert an existing building because there's mm. an energetic problem? Or just because they want to change?
0: Um, both. both. Um, yeah. Uh, either If somebody wants a conversion done, uh, often people will say... And in fact, I remember when, when I first started architecture, going back, I, I was working uh, with my father in buildings. So I kind of started when I was 15, 16, designing hmm. and working on buildings. And when I started to do extensions for people, uh, when I started training as an architect people would ask me to extend um, a three, four bedroom house. And there's only two of them. And you think, okay. But then I started to question, why are people doing this? Why does somebody want an extension when you don't actually physically need the space? What are they really asking me? Mm. Uh, And now I (laughs) I would say and interpret that as they are wanting a change. They're wanting something to change in their lives and of course this is a correlation of the energy work that I, I work with with houses and clients now and so when somebody wants a change in a building is it uh, what they want do they want to shift in life or is it the soul of the building wanting something changing is there something not right with the building or are the people living there sensing there's something not quite right with the building Maybe it's been built on the wrong bit of land, the wrong geometry, you know, everything we've said. Um, And so the building is saying, "Mm, mm, I want something changing, shifting, and it's affecting the people. And they think, "Mm, we need to change something. Mm. I tell you what, let's have an extension. (laughs) That's the easiest way to express a physical change. But once you do that, it doesn't necessarily mean life's going to get better. Because as we know in feng shui, if you extend uh, in the wrong area you could actually devastate your life. Um, and, you know, this is very well, you know, documented, the, uh, both in feng shui and vastu. Uh, you mustn't extend in certain areas because this is the likely effect. Or it's good to extend in this area. So having these really basic principles um, can help people, you know, to enhance their lives when they want to make improvements as opposed to making improvements in their home and actually devastating them. Mm. And and I've seen every combination of this.
1: It is amazing how we've lost all these really basic principles in the West, you know. Yeah. Um, Do you find in different countries they're more receptive to this sort of idea? Um,
0: Well, as you know, I I work um, right around the world with this stuff, um, consulting with people. And I think in the UK and in the US, people are more open to it and more ready to... Engage at this kind of discussion level, um, particularly in the US on the West Coast and the East Coast. I've not had much experience in between, but I, I, I gather it's not so um, as open, but I, I don't have the experience of that. But certainly in the UK, um, I, I, when I work with clients, I'm speaking at this level that we're, we're talking now, and um, people are happy to work with that because that's where my experience is and and I can help people in that. In in other countries, they're a little bit more sceptical, but the funny thing is that it it doesn't matter what nationality you are, where you live in the world, we've all got the same issues, problems, aspirations, and there are only nine areas of life anyway if we look at the the feng shui bhagwa, for example, and they're common to everyone. Mm. Uh, and it doesn't matter how much money somebody's got; they still want more. Um, and then, of course, you start looking at, well, what does what does money mean? What does wealth mean? You know. I was
1: thinking more of uh, how you explain these concepts to, so like, the town planning department. <laughs>
0: Uh, well, I um, you have to change the languaging, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> of course. Uh, I'm um, working on uh, the potential of a, a television series, as you may know, you know, called The House Whisperer, and I've got my own channel as well on on the web. And um, you have to look at adapting the language, and it's very tricky not to uh, to communicate it at every level. Um, Like some of the ancient scriptures, they can talk at different levels with the same words. So you're aiming at a higher vibration level, but also talking to the so-called man in the street. The important thing is to communicate that there are things that you can do, you know, in your home, in your life, to change something. Uh, So I never tone down the integrity of the work but change the languaging to suit the person. and It doesn't take long, um, you know, once you start speaking to someone and, you know, you arrive at a house and uh, also you've had a conversation on the phone before you go, so you've got a pretty good idea where you can pitch the languaging. But I often get um, a couple and the wife will phone up and say, but I really don't know how to tell my husband um, that it's possible for you to come and do this kind of work, you know, because we've talked about dousing and... Energy work and possible spirits in the house. Uh, He just doesn't believe, he's a skeptic. I said, Look, just get me through the front door, get through the front door, I get my dousing rods out, stick them in his hands, they start to move, walk around, his eyes kind of light up, and suddenly I've got a converted skeptic who is absolutely loving it and extraordinary. Um, but it's always, you know, getting that sensitivity of how far can you push it? And then you, you push him a little bit more and, um, you know, then they start to experience. Uh, uh, and it's extraordinary how, how many people will say, yeah, but, you know, I, I see this, you know, this this ghost of a person walking down the corridor. But you told you know, your wife just told me you didn't believe in any of this. You know? Yeah. Um, but once you start engaging, you know, we've all got the same perception, the same instrument for sensing all this stuff um, but different ways of um, understanding expressing uh, and communicating it but everyone you know feels atmospheres um, they might say well it just feels heavy or I feel ill going into the building or it feels dark whatever adjective you use it's you're, you're saying the same thing yeah there's not so good energy and we need to kind of uh, explore it. And clear it, you know um, so yeah, the languaging indeed is is important,
1: so um what's your workshop going to be about this weekend what
0: um well it? we're we're looking at uh the, the first session tomorrow we're we're looking at working with uh finding the soul of the building, so hopefully um we're going to be working with sound and voice and harmonics and um Hopefully we'll, we'll raise the roof on the building. But the idea is to get people to sense what um, is the energy of the space they're in, uh, the energy of their inner space, and possibly to, uh, if it's appropriate, to get them to connect to the energy of their home, the soul of their home. And that means a physical home where they live, but also their inner spiritual home and we'll just see how that weaves I, I very much work with the energy of the moment who's there what the astrology of the day is what the energy of the, of that moment is um, and so when somebody says can you come and speak to us in nine months time uh, what are you going to talk about that for me is the hardest thing to... <laughs> so I'll put some words down and you know you've got to get a descriptor down to you know to print and so on um, but um, as I was saying to Helen a bit earlier on, it was only yesterday I re-looked at what I was going to present on the slideshow and changed it, adapted it, depending on how it felt, I could sense the energy of this weekend. The two workshops that follow, um, Saturday and Sunday, uh, will be looking at that at a much deeper level uh, with people, looking at uh, how we have coding um, the energetic matrix coding of a building like I was speaking a little bit earlier on and how to sense that and how to create psychic grids and program them and so on so um, yeah it, it's very much about at that level of it's kind of psychic dowsing in the uh, morphic field if you yeah. like um, but with no you know we can use physical dowsing rods and pendulums and so on and what I hope to do <laughs> is to show people how to create a psychic shield, for example, and see if people can actually douse it with with dowsing rods and see if they can find it and then collapse a shield and how to do that and then because this is really useful um, for example, if you have uh, bad neighbours. Of course, bad neighbours are our best teachers, but we'll just say bad neighbours. And you want to actually create a shield, you know, to protect, which, as we've said, is not about protection, but about changing the relationship. And so being able to create these grids, uh, and it, it sounds kind of pretty complex, and it is at one level, but I hope to be able to impart that to the group's this weekend and, and just have, have fun playing with it because it's uh, the it's beginning of a, a different kind of journey, I feel. Sure. And um, I'm constantly getting updates and downloads from um, where my knowledge kind of hits me in, from the universe. <laughs> um, and it's pretty extraordinary stuff sometimes. And uh, uh, I use a lot of sacred sound and Sanskrit in, in the work, uh, a lot of music and rhythms. Uh, in the creating um, psychic geometries in etheric space which actually programs and changes the nature of um, the space we stand in
1: so um, yeah pretty exciting stuff really yeah well I'm sure we could all benefit from those skills (laughs) Uh, I look forward to it (laughs) wonderful thank you Christian thanks very much for talking to us thank you Christian Kiriakou there Uh, My apologies for the intermittent mobile phone noises during that interview. Uh, Somebody should know better to check that all phones are off before he starts recording. But believe me, that's the improved version. We'll be featuring more of Christian in the next podcast once I have edited his talk into shape. But that's all we have for now. I'm going to try and get another episode out before the end of the year. But in case I don't manage, let me wish you all the best for the festive season. Adventures in Dowsing comes from the British Society of Dowsers in Hanley Swan, England. For more details about the society, see our website at BritishDowsers.org. Please do get in touch with your comments and ideas about the podcast. Send us an email to podcast at BritishDowsers.org. You can also post messages on the BSD forum, and you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Dowsers, and also youtube.com slash Dowsers. Thanks for listening. Many thanks to Hilary Brooks, Ian Pegler, and now Brian and Jeanette Kidd for the music. Be sure to join me next time for more Adventures in Dowsing.